Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Tours and Tennis Express. Well, thank you for joining me on today's episode. Before we get to today's topic, which is going to be how to beat serve and volley players, I just want to talk to you all about two quick things. First of all, make sure to check out the recent video instruction that I've been putting out at EssentialTennis.com. It's one of the things that I'm really going to make a big priority moving forwards on the website and I just put out a series of videos on the serve, on kind of rebuilding your serve from the ground up and I've got a a three video series on a progression of drills to do or I, I guess it's one drill but broken into six different progressions that can show you how to build your serve from the ground up and really have a good solid fundamental service motion. I also just put out a video, kind of a more fun video on how to juggle to improve your eye-hand coordination. And you can view all four of those videos for free at EssentialTennis.com. Just click on video. And if you want to go past the most two recent videos, you have to sign up for the archives, the video archives, but that's totally free. And then secondly, before we get to today's topic, Just a quick reminder that iTunes is by far the best way to get this uh, podcast. Just download iTunes from Apple.com, whether you're on a Windows or Mac computer, doesn't matter. And then go to the iTunes Music Store, do a search for Tennis Podcast. You can subscribe to the Essential Tennis Podcast, which means that every time a new episode comes out, you'll get it automatically. You don't, even, you don't have to go to the website and download the file to your computer and then drag it over to your iPod or other music player, etc. You can get it automatically, which is great. So go check that out. All right, let's go ahead and get to today's episode. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right. Let's get to our featured topic on today's episode of the podcast, and it comes to us from David in Orlando, Florida. He's a 4-5 level player and wrote to me and has a simple question. He said, I struggle to beat guys that serve and volley. What strategies will help overcome this deficiency? All right, David, good question. And (laughs) who says serve and volley is dead, right? Who says nobody comes to the net anymore? I guess when people say that, they're talking mostly about professional players, but um, it, you know, there's certainly lots of players out there that still are comfortable at the net and still will come in when they, when they see an opportunity and they have a chance to be offensive and move forwards and take over the point. Professional and recreational players uh, uh, as well. So it's kind of nice to hear that you have this problem, David, you know, as somebody who hears complaints a lot from people who say that the game is all power now and nobody works on coming into the net anymore. But to get to your question, yeah, it it can be really tough beating this type of player, especially one who is very comfortable up there and does it exclusively and really has good skills at the net. This type of player really forces you 
to come up with the goods. They don't just sit back and, and be comfortable and relaxed and wait for you to make a mistake or wait for you to take over the point. They're moving in and really forcing the issue. And so, you know, you, you really kind of have to be sharp and be on your game to beat a good serve and volley player, especially at a 4-5 level, which is what you're playing at. So let's talk about this, and we're going to split it, split it up into a couple different sections, and this is going to be the only topic we talk about today, so I'm really going to go into detail on it because it's a topic that I, I definitely haven't covered before on the podcast. And the first thing we're going to talk about is probably the most important, and that is the quality of your return placement. The quality of your return of serve simply just has to be good especially at a 4-5 level, and especially against somebody who serves and volleys very frequently and is very competent at it, you can't just hit any old return of serve. And in singles, against somebody who serves and stays back, you can really get away with quite a lot. You can just block the ball, and as long as it goes relatively deep in the court, as long as it lands past the service line at least a little ways, it doesn't even have to be hit hard or hit with a lot of spin or hit to a corner, etc. You can just kind of neutralize the serve and get into the point and start off from at least a neutral stance or a, you know a neutral setting. You, you get the idea in terms of the uh, the phase of play. But against a, a serve and volley, you, you don't have that luxury. And that's really what makes it so difficult. You can't just block any old return back in play because your opponent is immediately coming up to the net. And if you give them an easy ball, then you're going to be immediately on the defense right off the, off the first shot. And it makes life very, very difficult and very frustrating, especially if you keep doing that and feeding them easy shots over and over again. So we're going to talk about three criteria having to do with the return of serve and going to be really specific on each on what you can do to make this opponent's life difficult <laughs> as a serve and volley player. And the first one is height. And this is probably the really the most important thing that I'm going to talk about today as far as beating this type of player is the height of the return. If you can get your return of serve low to them, then your life is going to be so much easier that day trying to beat this type of player. Even if you don't hit it hard, and honestly, even if you hit it to them, if you can get it down low anywhere around their feet or, you know what, I mean, at least around knee height. If it's below the height of the net, if it's below their waist, and especially if it's kind of knee height or below, if you can get it down by their feet, then you really take away a lot of their um, offense. You take away, take away a lot of their ability to be able to attack. And it's not to say that they can't still hit a good shot, but you challenge them so much more even if you don't hit it with a lot of pace or with a lot of spin or, or uh, hit it you know, a sharp angle or right down the line or whatever, if you can just get the height correct, then you're going to have a much easier time trying to beat this player. It forces your opponent to play something relatively neutral. And the word relatively there is pretty important. Again, I don't want to make it sound like if you get it low, then all your problems are going to go away. But when you get it low, you force them to have to hit up to avoid the net. And from that hitting position, they have to play some kind of placement shot. They, they have to 
place it safely someplace. They can't hit the ball hard. Now, they could still maybe hit a, a really nice drop volley, or they could still hit a nice angle, or they could hit something really deep in the courts, and all those things could challenge you, but they can't hit the ball hard. I mean, it's pretty much literally impossible to hit the ball hard as a serve and volleyer when the return gets down to your feet. So you at least have that going for you when you can get the return of serve low. So how do you hit it low? You've got three main options. Number one, you could use a slice. And slice shots are not as aggressive, not as offensive, but very often it's easier to place the ball very accurately with a slice. Instead of taking kind of a a full wind-up and making a topspin swing on either your forehand or backhand side, using a slice a lot of times helps you keep the ball lower, helps you be more consistent, and can help help you be more accurate. David, I don't know your you know specific strokes and your specific strengths and weaknesses, but I just want to throw that out there as one option is you can use a slice. And again, as long as you place it well, then you're in good shape. It doesn't have to be a big, fancy, aggressive, offensive shot. Number two, you can hit with heavy topspin on either side. And again, this might not be necessary, but if you have it, and if this is your kind of bread and butter shot, is taking a, a cut at the ball and hitting with heavy topspin, then this can be really effective. And it can be really effective because topspin makes the ball dip down. So if you can effectively and consistently hit with the right amount of spin and the right height and the right depth so that the ball keeps dipping down at the feet of your approaching opponent who is serving and volleying, then this can be an excellent, excellent shot. And personally, when I play serving volleyers and they hit to my forehand sign, that's really my shot of choice is a heavy kind of loop looping shot that dips down and down at their feet. On my backhand side, I definitely like to play a slice. I'm not as good at hitting topspin on my backhand side. It's more of a drive. And so I have a hard time getting that low consistently. My slice, on the other hand, takes some pace off and I have good control and good touch with it. And so I'm able to place the ball low a lot easier on my backhand side when I use slice. So I personally use both. Just kind of depends on which side my opponent is serving to. And then the third way, third main way to get the ball low is just to simply block it. And you can use a continental grip to do this, or you can use your regular forehand or backhand grip and just put your racket out there and just block it back. Just kind of a flat, straight blocking shot. And this this is what you want to use against somebody who's got a big serve. And David at a 4-5 level, I'm sure sees some big serves uh, from his opponents. I don't know if he sees those against his serve and volley opponent, opponents specifically, but against somebody with a really big serve who's also coming up to the net um, after it, then just simply blocking the ball back and just placing it low is a really smart play. It puts the ball on the court consistently, and it's very easy to control. Uh, very often, recreational players see the serve and volley tactic, and they think, wow, Uh, Here they come. I got to just haul off and just hit the heck out of this shot, meaning the return of serve. And they go for all these big returns returns of serve and end up just giving away point after point. Don't do that. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later. 
So that's um, priority number one on the return of serve is the height. And there's three ways that you can get it low. Which one you choose is going to depend on what, what you're most comfortable with, what you are most effective with, etc. So that's priority number one. Uh, number two on the return of serve is width. And you've got basically two choices when your opponent is serving and volleying. You can either try for a sharp cross-court angle or you can try down the line. Now, since they're moving in and they just hit a cross-court serve from do side to do side or add side to add side, then usually, typically, the biggest chunk of court is going to be down the line. Uh, to, to aim for. Now, if they're smart, they're serving most of their serves down the tee, which takes away a little bit of, well, d- depends. I mean, compared to a wide serve, it really takes away a lot of your ability to be able to hit past them down down the line. But just keep in mind that usually that's going to be the biggest chunk of courts, hit, hitting past them back in the direction that they just hit from, meaning cross courts, is going to be pretty tough to do. It has to be really sharply angled to be able to hit past them. That's not to say that it can't be done. Clearly, you could still be effective hitting an angle as well, but I just wanted to throw that out, throw that out there. Keep in mind that down the line is going to be your biggest piece of real estate. As far as width is concerned also, keep in mind that you don't want to consistently try to hit it past them or around them unless their serve is pretty weak and or you're just really confident with your return game in general, or you're really confident with your return game on that given day, and you're just taking big cuts at the ball, and you're hitting it real clean and real solid. Maybe they're serving and volleying, and they don't have a good serve, and so you're really comfortable and stepping up and really taking a good cut at the return of serve. If that's the case, and you can consistently aim around them, then go ahead and go for it. But a lot of you listening are going to fall for kind of this sucker play of seeing them serve and volley, and you think, ah, oh, crap, I've got to hit a winner. And they, they serve and they move in, and you know you see that space on either side of them, and you're just just hauling off and just hitting the, the heck out of the ball over and over again, trying to hit winners past them. And you don't have to put that much pressure on yourself to hit a perfect shot. So just keep that in mind. So that's um thing to keep in mind, or tactic number two with the return is width. Um, keep in mind that down the line usually gives you more space. Also keep in mind, don't go for the big winner return of serve over and over again. That's probably not going to win you the match or get you your, your break of serve that you were hoping for. And unless you can not get lucky, but string together a couple of really big ones, you know, hopefully that'll work out for you, but keep in mind, you're going to make a lot of mistakes consistently trying to hit around them. And then lastly, power. And you might, be, you might be a little surprised to hear me talking about power, but oftentimes this can be really effective against a serve, serve and volley player. If you just hit it hard, especially right at them oftentimes, it can be effective in throwing them off and knocking them off balance. And you can a lot of times get a weak first volley or a weak you know, half volley or whatever, a weak first shot from that serve and volley player. If you can just simply put a lot of pace on it take their time away to react. This is especially effective if you're playing with a serve and volley player who doesn't split step and they're just running into the net to try to pressure you. Hitting it hard right at them a lot of times is a a great play, even if it's not especially low. 
um, just take away their time, rush them, and put the pressure on them to have some great hands and really place the ball well, even though you're hitting it really aggressively. So those are your three main things to keep in mind on the return of serve, David. Height, low, I mean, and that's number one, priority number one, height. If you can get it low, awesome. And then number two, width. You can pressure them by hitting uh, a sharp angle. You can pressure them by hitting around them down the line. There's more space down the line, typically. And don't try to go for that perfect winner, you know, around them every time. That's a sucker play. And then lastly, power. If you can just hit it hard, especially right at them, very often that can be effective. And of course, we can mix and match and combine these different options as well. If you can hit it low and hard, then awesome. (laughs) Or if you can hit it low and at an angle and hard, well, great. But, you know, that's asking for a lot, especially if you're below a 4 or 5 level, like where David is at. If you're at a 5-0 level and listening to me, then... I mean, to be honest, at that level, you, you kind of have to go for big offensive shots like that against somebody who's serving and volleying and really has a good net game. Most of you listening, if you're at a 3-0 or a 3-5 level, um, that's it's really going to cause more errors than it's going to win points. So don't feel like you have to make a perfect return. Make them have to volley. And that that's a perfect segue right into my second section. The first section there was all about the return of serve. Second section, we're going to talk about tactics to use once the return has been hit and the point starts. And I'm going to talk about two main tactics. And the first tactic, number one, and this is the first tactic that you always use when you're playing against a serve and volley player or just any net rusher in general, if they're returning and volleying, or they just like to come into the net. Number one tactic, listen carefully, be certain that they can volley. Be certain that they can volley. Don't panic and get all fancy and try to hit perfect shots. I've already mentioned that several times with the return of serve, but even once the point gets started, number one tactic needs to be to give them volleys and see if they have the goods, see if they have the ability Make them prove themselves consistently that they have the ability to finish points effectively. And they can angle the ball away or hit that soft touch drop volley or they can hit you know, a firm deep volley and hit it past you to the other side of the court, whatever. Or um, overheads, I need to throw that in as well. Make sure that they're able to hit those shots and they have the ability to actually win the point consistently And that's a key word, consistently, once they get up to the net. If they serve and volley the first game and uh, you you, kind of panic and you go for some big returns and maybe you miss two of them and then the other two points, maybe they they put away an overhead and, and they angle a volley away, don't panic and continue going for that big return of serve especially since they only had to earn two out of the four points for them to hold serve their very first game. Go several games giving them the opportunity to put the ball away first. And that means not going for a huge return of serve. That means not trying to place it perfectly. That means that you give them two, three, four, five volleys per point slash overheads, volleys and overheads per point. Make them have to hit several shots and give them the opportunity to screw up. They're being very offensive which means that very often if you give them the chance, they will make unforced errors and they will give you some points. 
And too often I see recreational players panic when they see that net player up there. They make a ton of mistakes and they give the match to their opponents instead of ever actually seeing if they had the ability to even put the ball away. Some of you, that's going to be hard to do because you hate losing points and and you, you feel the need to have to hit a winner every time you're challenged. Ratchet it back, please, or you're going to just give the match away. So that's tactic number one. Uh, aim for the middle of the court. Get the ball low off the return if possible. If not, no big deal. Uh, don't hit the net a bunch of times trying to get it low. The first two or three games that your opponent serves, give them the ball. And if over those two or three games, they just consistently, bam, 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 like, like clockwork, they're just putting balls away, you know, volleying it away, overhead, putting it away, um, then okay, we need to go to, you know, step two, tactic number two. Um, and one more time I want to throw in there, make sure you test their overhead. Put lobs up in the air. Put two or three up in a row and see if, they, if they're comfortable with it. See if they can put it away test them and make sure that they have the offense with their strokes to back up what they've done by moving into the net. I I really can't stress this section enough. I mean, really make sure that they have the goods to beat you up there. Okay. Tactic number two, if they prove that they have the goods and they prove that they, they have the um, proficiency with their strokes to put the ball away consistently, then we're going to need some kind of combination of great offense and great defense. And how that looks exactly is going to be determined by your strengths and weaknesses and your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. In other words, if, um, if you're mainly an offensive player and you, have, you don't have good defense, you're not good at lobs, you're not good at playing soft shots down at the feet of your opponent's, then more than likely we're going to be, you know, mostly offense. We're going to be trying to hit solid offensive shots, which means trying to hit around them, um, trying to hit hard at them, etc. On the other hand, uh, if your opponent, you know, some things you have to keep in mind are, are, first of all, let me kind of start over here, your strengths and weaknesses, so whether or not you're good at offense or you're good at defense, you have to keep that in mind. And then the second thing you have to keep in mind is your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. How offensive are they? By moving into the net, yes, that's offensive in general, but keep in mind things like how close they, how close they get to the net, whether they're really good at high put-away volleys, or maybe they're really good at low touch volleys, maybe they're really good at overheads, or maybe they're bad at one of those three types of net shots. You have to keep those things in mind. You have to be observant and see what types of shots they're really good at and what shots they're not so good at. And then uh, mix that with what you're good at. And there's your strategy as far as what combination of shots you're going to play offensively and what combination uh, or what ratio of shots you're going to play defensively. So let's go over a couple of specific examples just to give you an idea. I'm just going to talk about four types of players you might encounter that are serving volleyers. Number one is the super tight closer. This is somebody that just bum rushes and they're just coming way into the net. And every time you try to pass, they're just right on top of that net really close and they're just slamming the ball away against that type of player. Even if you're mostly an offense player, you're going to want to play more defense than offense, at least until they make a change and mix it up. 
Uh, type of player number two, a careful closer with a good overhead. Sometimes you'll play somebody who serves in volleys, but they stay closer to the service line than they stay to the net. And they stay relatively far back you know, for somebody who's playing the net, and they cover lobs really well. And if you're a, primarily a defensive type player, then this type of player is going to be trouble for you because it means that your lob is not really going to be effective because they're already pretty far back and they've got a good overhead. So you're going, to ha- you're going to want to play more offense than defense against this type of serve and volley player. And then thirdly, we've got your crafty all-arounder, somebody who's good at closing in and putting the ball away, somebody who also is smart about not getting too close and is able to read the lob and get back quickly and they've got a good overhead. Against this player, you're going to have to mix it up. Don't be predictable. This person is all-around good enough and smart enough to never get super close consistently and get burned by the lob. They also um, are not sitting back on the service line and giving you space to pass them either. And they're, they're just kind of a smart, all-around good net player. You're going to have to mix it up, play lobs, play drives. Don't be predictable. And you, this is going to be the toughest type of serve and volley player to beat because if you do the same thing over and over again, they're smart enough and um, agile enough at the net to be able to do what it takes to put the ball away. So you kind of have to keep them off balance and, and throw in some lobs, throw in some passing shots, and not fall into a pattern where they know what's coming. And then fourthly, a specific type of serve and volley player. A lot of times you'll find that a serve and volley player or a net rusher will really like to cover either the line or the angle, the the cross-court shot. And in this case, you're going to want to go with offense and be prepared to hit a consistent target over and over and over again. Maybe they like to serve and volley, go to your backhand, and they just camp out for that down-the-line passing shot. Well, you know exactly what you have to do. It means you're going to have to hit a whole bunch of backhand passing shots cross court over and over again. And if they start adjusting, and this goes for all four of the specific examples, if you start finding something that works and they adjust, then be prepared to counter adjust and again, change it up, change up your target or change up from mostly offense to maybe a little bit more defense or maybe mostly defense to a little bit more offense etc. You get the idea. You have to be smart out there. You have to adjust in order to win consistently. So (laughs) there you go. As you can tell, there's a lot of variables involved here. You know, I I can't tell David, use this tactic and you're always going to beat serve and volleyers. It's not that simple. It's a chess game out there. And your opponent's going to have specific strengths and weaknesses. You're going to have specific strengths and weaknesses. You have to come up with an initial game plan and use it as long as it works consistently. And that means more than 50% of the time. You only need 51% of the time to be successful to win the match, really. Um, but if they make an adjustment and they you know, tilt things in their favor, you have to counter-adjust and come up with something a little bit different to challenge them further. All right, just two more quick things here on uh, beating the serve and volley player. Number one, be ready for a battle, David. Uh, very often, these types of players are bull rushers. They, they will continue to just close over and over and over. They will continue to keep the pressure on. They never stop. They never give up. And mentally, you just have to be really resilient, and you have to be ready for a mental and physical battle out there. 
and a really a tactical battle too. Very often you'll see what shot is available and what they're leaving open, and you just have to you've got to come up with the goods and you just have to execute and you have to hit X, Y, or Z shot, maybe X, Y, or Z patterns of shots or whatever in order to beat this type of player. And it takes a lot of focus and a lot of discipline to be able to do that over the course of an hour or a two hour long match. Probably not going to be two hours with somebody who's coming to the net consistently, but you get the idea. You have to really keep your focus and um, it's going to be hard work. Just be prepared for that. And lastly, um, keep an eye on your opponents and keep in mind the quality of shot that you hit. Be prepared to close in yourself after hitting either a great offensive or a great defensive shot. If you do manage, manage to get the ball low off the return or you manage to hit a good passing shot attempt and they're stretching out or bending down for a tough shot, look for a short reply. I can't even tell you how many times in my career I've seen a recreational player come up with a good shot, um, a good passing shot attempt or a good lob attempt or a good you know, low attempt to get the ball low to a, a closing net player. And then they just stand there and watch it and the, the person just gets a racket on it, you know, just kind of dinks it back. And the person who hit that great shot is standing there watching, not reacting and the net player ends up hitting a winner off what was really a defensive shot. And they just kind of dink it over or just kind of shank it over. And the person who hit the good solid shot loses the point because they didn't anticipate that weak reply coming back. Look for that. When you have somebody who's closing in all the time and you are trying to find ways to make them uncomfortable and you're trying to come up with good replies to their attacking game, you have to really be sharp and pay attention to what they're doing so that when you do hit a good shot and they are thrown off balance, you're ready to immediately close forwards and attack, take over the point, and really make the most out of the attacking or defensive attempt that you made uh, the shot before. Okay, so there you go. Uh, obviously, a lot to keep in mind here. And David, best of luck, uh, best of luck with this. Just a quick review, return, height is uh, key number one. Get it low when all po- if at all possible. Uh, width can also be effective. Keep in mind down the line is going to be your biggest chunk of court. Power, a lot of times hitting it hard can be effective. Tactically, tactic number one, make sure that they have the goods. Make them have to put it away and make them prove themselves before you go for anything fancy. And then tactic number two, mix and match their strengths and weaknesses with your strengths and weaknesses. Um, See how offensive or defensive they are and then counteract that with the type of shot that makes the most amount of sense. Be ready for a battle and be prepared to close in and take advantage and pounce on a weak reply from your opponent after you've hit a good solid shot. So there you go. In a nutshell, that's how you beat a serve and volley player. There's a lot of variables involved and, and David, if you have any thing else specific, please let me know. But there's a good, solid overview of how you can beat this type of player. And not just a serve and volley player, but somebody who just closes in consistently. They can be really tough to beat. And these are the things that you have to keep in mind in order to be successful. Best of luck, David. All right, that does it for episode number 166 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. 
Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. I really appreciate it. And in wrapping up, I'm going to read two comments that were left for episode number 165 of the show, which was about breaking the directionals and also using lead tape on your racket. And uh, (laughs) interestingly, it seemed like most people, at least based on the comments, it seemed like most people were more more interested in uh, the lead tape section of that show as opposed to when to not use the ward law directionals during during your singles play and uh, both both the comments i'm going to read here have to do with that first one comes to us from steve who uh, just wanted to talk about his experiences with using lead tape he wrote and said i've been experimenting with lead tape lately and i found that you're absolutely right with respect to small weight increments i tried increasing a full ounce in one leap and it was just ridiculous the difference I just couldn't play with the racket at all. I found that increasing even a quarter of an ounce increment at a time made a significant difference in feel. If I can suggest to your listeners that people might want to give each increment a really good long try, maybe three or four playing sessions over a couple of weeks to let your muscles and stroke form adjust before giving another quarter of an ounce. I worked. This worked for me. Over the last few months, I've gone from 11 ounces to 12.4 ounces. It's made a huge overall difference in my game. The shots are like cannons coming off of my frame. There's hardly any frame twisting on off-center shots, and it's definitely something very worthwhile experimenting with. As an added bonus, my tennis elbow is a lot better as well. All right, Steve, that's great. First of all, really happy to hear that your experimentation has paid off, both in terms of the, the uh, resulting shots and tennis elbow as well. And that surprises a lot of people, but a heavier racket is actually better for tennis elbow, all things being equal. And the reason for that is the, the greater mass of the frame absorbs more of the shock from impact with the ball. And a really, really light racket, your body uh, receives more of that shock. And that's not good. And that repeated shock over and over and over again will start to stress the smaller parts of your body. And, of course, the the smaller muscles in your forearm a lot of times are very commonly inflamed due to that. And that's what tennis elbow is. So that's excellent. 12.4 ounces is a, is a real beast of a racket. But he, as Steve has talked about how he's gone quarter ounce at a time and gotten used to it and then continued forwards. And so it's great that you've um, kind of backed into it a little bit at a time. I think that's a really smart way to do it, Steve. And I, that's what I, as you mentioned, that's what I suggested during the show. So great job. And then uh, lastly, from Jack Johnson, I wouldn't recommend those scales. I, I recommended a scale and um, uh, to, to be able to measure your lead tape and also measure your overall racket weight. It was just a, a postal scale on Amazon. He says, I wouldn't recommend those scales. Scales that can weigh up to 75 pounds and have a 0.2 ounce slash 6 gram margin of error will not produce enough accuracy for adding lead to rackets. It would be better to buy electronic scales that weigh up to 0.5 kilograms with a margin of error of, say, 0.2 grams instead of 0.2 ounces, which is obviously a lot smaller. Uh, And he says, the lower, the better for example. And then he gave a link to a different scale on Amazon. And um, Jack, thanks a lot for posting that 
I, I'm definitely not a scale expert. <laughs> I just kind of uh, found the first postal scale that was on there, and I I totally agree. Obviously, the the lower the margin for error, the better, especially when we're dealing with really small increments in weight, like a quarter of an ounce at a time, like what Steve was talking about. So, Jack, thank you very much for showing me that that different model. I agree, that's definitely better. I, I didn't do a lot of research. Uh, I, to be honest, I probably should have before recommending a scale. Uh, so the one that Jack linked to not only has a much, much smaller margin for error, but it's eight bucks. <laughs> That's pretty tough to beat. So I changed the link in the show notes for episode number 165 and now links to the scale that Jack recommended. So Jack, thanks very much for, for writing and uh, for showing me that scale. I, I think that's definitely better. So I, I appreciate that. So Stephen, Jack, and everybody else who commented on episode 165, thanks very much for that. I really appreciate getting uh, feedback and thoughts and comments and questions. And to do that for this episode, simply go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Go to episode number 166. That's this episode. And leave your comments or questions. I read all of those. I, I try my best to reply to all of them. And it's, it's really great to see what all of you think. All right. So with that, I'm going to wrap up today's show. Thanks very much for joining me. Take care and good luck with your tennis. 